Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the host of the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today is Dr. Guy McPherson. Dr. McPherson is a professor emeritus of conservation biology at the University of Arizona. He is a leading voice, uh, I would say, that has produced both written and video evidence and education regarding an abrupt climate change. The abrupt emphasis is mine, but I suspect it might be Dr. McPherson's as well. He now lives on a homestead he created in rural southern New Mexico upon leaving active service at the university in 2009. And I want to mention also, we'll touch on all of this, but also his blog is called Nature Bats Last. Dr. McPherson, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm really happy to have you on the show. I have, as we discussed off air, I I certainly have written a great deal about uh, climate change and um, have many friends on either side of the uh, of the subject. And there's a lot coming from the TPP uh, buddies of mine and uh, far-reaching th- agencies you wouldn't think would necessarily be involved. But of course, there's agriculture and EPA and all of that. But I often say to people, do you think that the drought in California and the tornadoes in the Midwest, and we have a different season every day on the East Coast, how can you just say there's nothing to that? It's just another... But let's let the good Dr. McPherson talk. Um, I, my first question, I guess, is, is there more to climate change than than rising global temperatures, for instance? For for example, are corporations and government focusing on the potential impact of, of precipitation patterns? I mean, rain and drought uh, alternating so drastically. Uh, and how about atmospheric uh, circulation? I know you know all about that, but you can start there and we'll go from there and wherever you wish. Sure, that's a great question. And in the early 2000s, I was working with a colleague of mine, Jake Wilkins, we realized that a great majority of the research to that point that had been done with respect to climate 
forward to ecosystems and what affects ecosystems than just temperature rise. In fact, a really important one throughout the world, and especially here in the Western United States where we're both living at the time, mm-hmm. was precipitation. And yet it seemed like precipitation had been largely ignored by the research community. So we put together a book from a bunch of contributors that included, at that time, all of the major experimental work on precipitation. That came out in 2003. And since then, there's been a lot of work done on altering precipitation regimes as a result of climate change. And that's why we call it climate change, not global warming. It mm-hmm. is an increase in the global average warming of the planet, but that has consequences in local areas and regions that go beyond just overall warming. Uh-huh. So just because you throw a snowball on the Senate floor doesn't mean that the planet hasn't warmed Yes, I, I keep going back, even in when I write about it, I, I go back to the, the nonsense of a, a member of Congress holding up a snowball and saying there's no, no climate change, no global warming. But you make a point, and I, which I believe, I mean, in the research I've done, but, but could you clarify a bit more, and I think you, you hit on it, but just a bit more, there is a difference between global warming and climate change. Very often the media sort of uses those two terms uh, interchangeably. But is there not a difference? Yes, there is. Um, There is a global average warming of the planet. So far, we're about one and a half degrees above what we call the baseline or the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, about 1750. And that has consequences that reach far beyond temperature rise. Mm. So, for example, the what seems like a relatively low amount of temperature rise so far, only about a degree and a half in the last couple hundred years, has produced precipitation patterns that are quite unusual. Uh, the, the drought in California, for example, yes. by the ridiculously resilient ridge, as it's sometimes called, this ridge of high pressure that blocks incoming storms. And, and that same system, which is underlain by a meandering jet stream, or the so-called polar vortex, which is responsible for abundant precipitation, in fact, record-setting snowfall along the eastern seaboard mm-hmm. for a couple of years uh, the, the last couple of winters uh, before this current winter. So these things are related, and interestingly enough, that global average warming produces drought in California and many places in the West, and record-setting snowfall, the opposite of drought, mm. in along the eastern seaboard. Yes. You know, it's, it's difficult for the general public to understand if it's if it's raining so much and it's so cold. How can we call this global warming? Mm. How can we call this? You must be out of your mind to call this climate change. Well, could you answer that question? Because I know a lot, I get a lot of call-ins, you know, and emails thinking I'm crazy because I'm always writing and talking about this and have guests who clearly know what they're talking about criticized because they ask the very last two questions you asked. How do we call this when we're looking at, well, you know your question, can you answer it? How do we? Yeah, I'm not suggesting that you're not insane, or or that I'm not either. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. So it's not as if we're we're just making up a story 
comes up and and people you know say well because people just assume it's always going to be there that's especially in America it's just we overconsume and we think we can because it's always going to be there but I always point out the the uh, oh a couple of years ago maybe Nestle Corporation chair or decided he wanted to privatize water and made it clear clear statement public statement that water was not a human right and I always say you know the only reason oil companies have not gone into the clean energy business with uh, great investments is either they don't think we're going to last long enough to need it or they want to deplete one industry while they build up the other and then they'll move over. I mean, I don't know. I think everyone, I think the guys with all the money think they're just going to fly off to Mars. But back to you, Dr. McPherson. Uh, <laughs> we, you, I, I, I let them go now. <laughs> yes. You know... You mentioned evidence. Can you talk to us a bit about the evidence underlining abrupt climate change? That word abrupt, that's different. Because everyone, you know, a lot of people say, well, it'll be our grandchildren. We should look out for our grandchildren. But I do have scientific friends who say, oh, no, 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 Marcello, you'll be here for it. What do you say? Thank you. 
You know, whether Einstein truly said it or not, there's a debate on that, but when the bees go, we go, and that's kind of what I hear you saying, and it's not just the bees, but uh, every time something, a a species goes extinct, and people kind of, oh, that's too bad, and whatever, but I think it's all, everything's a piece of this huge mosaic, and if you think of it as that, as a, a big jigsaw puzzle on the wall, Every time you take out a piece, the stability of the a puzzle being able to remain attached to the wall seems to weaken. I mean, am I oversimplifying? Or no, no, no. You're absolutely right, and and the consequence, consequences are already manifest at the level of vertebrates. You know, and we're vertebrates. Yes. Not as if we're gonna, because we're clever. There's a paper in the August 2013 issue of Ecology Letters that finds that the rate of evolution by natural selection trails the rate of climate change by a factor of 10,000 times. And that paper is focused on vertebrates. So already vertebrates are unable to keep up with what had at that point been very slow changes in the climate. So, and here's an example of, that was back in the days uh, August 2013, that's, that was back in the days when the global average temperature of the rise of the planet was 0.85 degrees Celsius mm-hmm. above base. Well, now we're at 1.57. In fact, through October of last year, it was right at one degree above baseline. That's how much the Earth had warmed. And since then, between October and of last year and March of this year, the global average temperature has increased another 0.57 degrees Celsius. That's abrupt change, and it's underway right now. So why is climate change suddenly so abrupt? The, one, of the, one of the great disadvantages of being any organism on the planet that, that lives for a pretty long time mm-hmm. and has long generation times as a result is our inability to understand the exponential function. So we think, in fact, we often make predictions, whether we realize it or not, that the next few days are going to be a lot like the last few days. Mm. It didn't rain for the last few days. I don't need to take my umbrella today. Well, the exponential function isn't quite like that. Imagine you go into the grocery store one day, and it's like it was every other day. Mm-hmm. The bread is usually is, and the, the bread aisle is just half an aisle out of 30 aisles in the store. You go back a week later, and the bread aisle is now two aisles in the store. You go back a week, a week later, it's four aisles. You go back a week later, it's eight aisles. You go back a week, it's the whole store. And so in a matter of a month, your favorite grocery store doesn't carry pasta or jelly or milk or eggs or anything else anymore. It's become a bread store. And all 30 aisles just have various kinds of bread in them. And you wonder what happened. It was so fast. Mm. It, that's what we're looking at now. What we're looking at now is the exponential function. And and because we're long-lived organisms that have survived as individuals and as a species for a pretty long time based on our ability to predict the near future based on the recent past, we just aren't capable intellectually Mm. of handling those exponential changes. It seems to me another example of this, I often talk about food deserts. I know there are many reasons for food deserts, including economic ones, uh, and but selective communities are chosen 
because a business doesn't think they can make business, so but will sell them white bread to get use bread, and and that's not just a, an example. That that actually is a fact. But are things like food deserts uh, not just? I don't believe because that's all people want to eat, but because as things become less and less available, the less fortunate or poorer neighborhoods are the first to be denied the essentials. Wow, even in asking that, it suddenly hits me. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is one of the consequences of all civilizations throughout history. Within a civilization, the transfer of wealth from the poor to the wealthy mm-hmm. proceeds until the system can no longer be maintained. Sometimes because of an uprising from the, the, the people who lose their wealth to the point that they can no longer eat. Mm. So, so we have food riots. Uh, sometimes because the food just goes away on, on relatively short notice and the transfer of wealth from the poor to the wealthy cannot be maintained because there just isn't enough to go around anymore. And so there's a tremendous die-off in people. So there are various means by which we can terminate that inequitable distribution of food by which the food desert can end. And if history provides examples, None of the predictors are things that we're likely to look forward to. Mm. And, and you know, it's already underway. Yes. Uh, already we have an enormous number of people on the planet who don't have access to food. And although it's sometimes called a migrant crisis, mm. when, when people are moving from the Middle East and Northern Africa to Europe, for example, or from the small island states in the South Pacific to New, New Zealand and Australia. We call that a migrant crisis, but it's really a refugee crisis. Yes. Migrant, migrant assumes that the people are going back. Mm. We call them migratory birds because they go from the north to the south during, the, um, during a certain time of the year, during the winter, and then they go back up during the summer. What we're looking at today with literally millions of people is a refugee crisis. Those people aren't going back because there's no longer any habitat for them in the place they came from. There's no ability to grow food. It's too dry, too wet, too cold. It's too hot at various times of the year. We depend upon those bees. We depend upon the living planet for our own survival. And in many places of the world, we're doing away with that living planet, and that has cost. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, well, we'll talk more with Dr. Guy McPherson, but what about our response as hum- as humanity, not just human beings, but as humanity? Are we getting close to extinction, the human race? And what are we doing to cause it, and what can we do to, uh, to at least slow it down? Stay with us. We'll be right back with Dr. Guy McPherson. Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Blessed are the films that don't take themselves too seriously while packing detail and relevance into a fully entertaining experience. Viva La Libertad is a wonderful comedy born of the political disillusionment and despair familiar to many, here set in the world-weary political arena of modern Italy. 
It's the preposterously comic tale of opposition party leader Enrico Olivieri, who is bone-tired of playing the game. At a critical moment for his failing party, he can take no more and goes underground in France in the home of his now-married former lover. Meanwhile, until they can locate their wayward leader, the politicians decide to replace Enrico with his twin brother, Giovanni. It should work. Giovanni is a depressive with no ability to live in the mainstream world on his own. What could go wrong? As it turns out, things go right. Giovanni, uncontrollable and a bit mad with pharmaceutically induced optimism, gives interviews and playfully speaks blunt truth. He paints hopeful pictures of a thriving future. In the absence of normal political self-loathing rhetoric, everything becomes possible. The people rise up in support. But will Enrico come back? Viva la Libertà is a rich comedic discovery with a sensuous European feel, refreshing at its very core. Viva la Libertà. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today is Dr. Guy McPherson. We are talking about life on Earth. His blog, Nature Bats Last. Dr. McPherson, uh, interesting choice of words. Can you elaborate for us? You know, I did a lot of research when I wanted to name my blog Nature Bats Last to see who had said that first. Mm-hmm. And although the phrase was out there in the ether, I could not track down any single individual who had said it. And the bottom line is, you know, we're baseball is said to be America's favorite sport or game or mm-hmm. whatever. And one of the characteristics of baseball is that the home team bats last. So even if the home team is way behind going to the ninth inning, the home team still gets to bat last and might overcome a huge deficit and win the game. And there's all kinds of lore mm. in baseball history in which exactly that happens. And my point is that humans have been very clever. And particularly since civilizations arose a few thousand years ago, humans have been exceedingly clever and have managed to do things like store grain and therefore stave mm. off drought and grow the human population at an exponential rate for a long period of time and create all kinds of technology that, for example, allows us to have this conversation. But in the end, despite how clever we are, despite how clever we as individuals are and as we, the collective civilization, the dominant culture, despite all of that, nature bats last. Yes. So we can only push nature so far for nature no longer provides us with food and water and air and the ability to clothe ourselves and so on. The the attributes that provide for our own survival. We depend completely upon the natural world and this culture has convinced a lot of us that that's not the case, that we're actually separate from nature, that we can live apart from nature rather than as a part of nature. Mm. And that's going to bite us. Yes. You know, and one example maybe might seem like a little stretch to others, but I'm sure you'll grab it without hesitation. The I, like anyone else, I'm pleased that uh, oil prices are so low because gasoline prices are so low. But I've learned with real estate investments in the past, for instance, where there's a bubble, <laughs> sooner or later there's a, a burst. Uh, it, it breaks, but at the very least, there's always cause and effect. Nature is like that. So if we are spending... Uh, 
a lot less money on gasoline and therefore using much more gasoline, that is a cause and effect that um, is, is in our mind uh, sometimes more important than food and water because we think food and water lasts forever. But do you see, um, I don't know, maybe that leads to a question about how do we need to bridge? Is there a gap that we need to bridge between ecology and natural resource management? Because I don't think we're managing the natural resources. We're taking them for granted. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I have- such as the peak oil people were wrong and look how inexpensive oil and therefore gasoline is. Mm. Uh, a guy named M. King Hubbard who worked for Shell Oil mm. in 1956 gave yes. a famous presentation in which he predicted the, the peak of United States conventional oil, crude plus condensate oil, would come in 1970 plus or minus a few years. And 1970 came along and we never had so much oil. The price of gasoline was stunningly low, even adjusted for inflation. And people were laughing at M. King Hubbard. And two years later, three years later, the big crunch comes. Yes. You and I are old enough to remember. Oh, yes. There were crises throughout the 1970s. And I, I think we're seeing much the same thing today. We're awash in oil. It seems like it'll never run out. Mm. This is what a peak looks like. And, and after the boom comes the bus. It's yes. as inevitable as night following day. Yes. And, and so are we managing our, quote, our resources mm-hmm. in a way that is beneficial for us as a species in the long term, beneficial to the living planet? No, of course not. And I would argue we haven't for a very long time. Okay. Well, then, I guess the natural question is, are are we leading ourselves? I mean, are we walking, jogging, or or speeding in a, a, a infinity super sports to human extinction? What what's our what's our tempo? And is the destination uh, the same regardless of the tempo? Um, yes, to the latter question. Um, every species goes extinct, just as every person dies. Uh, we, we think when we're in our 20s that that certainly doesn't apply to us. Mm. By the time you get to be in your 50s or 60s, you realize, oh, this, this body isn't going to last forever. If I don't know it was going to last this long, I had to take a lot better care of it along the way. <laughs> yes. And, and so, of course, all individuals die. And, of course, all species go extinct. Everyone has so far. And, you know, this, this universe has been around for about 13.8 billion years, so you want to be than a thousand million and our species homo sapiens has been here for about 200,000 years mm. hmm. that's almost nothing yes. and yet in 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 our humanistic way and in, in what david ehrenfeld called in his 1978 book with the title the arrogance of humanism we think that 13.8 billion years of the universe was just a, a warm-up act for the greatest species ever mm. human that is a bit presumptuous but like uh, you know like they say what what is it contact in the film uh is there is there life out in outer space if not that would be an awful waste maybe it's the same kind of thinking i mean the whole idea that most certainly most americans but most human beings think that the earth has only been around since we've been around (laughs) so i don't know uh i yeah 
There's there's a paper in Science Advances, uh, June nineteenth, twenty fifteen, so less than a year ago, uh, indicating that the sixth mass extinction is already underway. Mm. And I would say that this is a conservative report from a conservative process. Sure. Because in August of twenty ten, the United Nations put out a report indicating that one hundred fifty to two hundred species are being driven to extinction every day. But in any event, we're in the midst of the sixth great extinction, the the sixth mass extinction mm-hmm. on planet Earth. And according to the the principal, the the primary author, the first author of that paper in Science Advances from last June, quote, life would take many millions of years to recover, and our species itself would likely disappear early on. Mm. And so, you know, that yes, we're, we're clever, and yes, we have managed to avoid the fate we have visited upon many other species. Yes. Will that last forever? No. No, of course not. It can't, because in the end, you only persist as long as you have habitat to persist, and we're destroying habitat for our species, as well as many others. So, I guess, now that you've answered that question, I don't know that the other question I wanted to ask is maybe too late to ask, but um, I'll ask it anyway, as again, I I have said uh, for at least the last five years, if only we would all just sort of try to live like our grandparents, you know, the horse and buggy, would it be so awful just to get up, give up the automobile? But I don't know, because now, after what you've just said, how do Americans thrive in a post-carbon fossil fuel era, was my question. I don't know that that is even, uh, 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 makes any sense asking. What do you think? Is that like... Well, no. <laughs> mirrors my own thinking for the last decade or so. Mm. It was a little over a decade ago that that I foresaw what was happening with respect to um, the demise of the industrial economy of the United States and the world and the connections to planet Earth. And so I started looking for a place to create a homestead mm. and live in that post-carbon manner. Mm-hmm. And I actually moved here full-time about seven years ago and established a homestead that requires no fossil fuels. Uh-huh. So I have panels on the roof, and, and the house is heated with passive solar, and it will, it will last hundreds if not thousands of years, and we're capable of growing an enormous amount of food here on this homestead with an orchard and big gardens and the ability to grow chickens and ducks and turkeys and goats, and we've had all those over time and and so I, I thought that this would be a place so, so my point is that you would find very few people on the planet who have as much invested in that sort of post-carbon future as I do I see I gave up a high pay low work job at a university to come pursue this way of life and I, as it turns out I'm mortal too yes. I'm going to die just like everybody else Yes. So, and and as indicated by Herodotus Bio when interviewed about that paper in Science Advances, our species itself would likely disappear early on. It it doesn't really matter what I've done here. I'm still going to die, and our species itself is going to disappear early on. And we 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 can't go back. We we can't go back to that way of life. We're too late. Mm. We have 
nitrate gun. There is methane leaking out of the Arctic Ocean at an exponential rate. We have triggered warming of the upper troposphere, moistening of the upper troposphere, which is a self-reinforcing feedback loop. Those are two among now dozens of self-reinforcing feedback loops that deal with climate change that that indicate that our species itself will disappear early on. Hmm. Well, I then what's our response? What what do we do? I uh, mean, it's interesting. People, people tell me all the time that I'm suggesting we lay down and die. And nothing could be further from the truth. No, I don't get uh, that. I think you're challenging us to respond. The question is, what what response? I think the, the response is mostly personal. Um, one of my recent books is called Extinction Dialogues, co-authored with Carolyn Baker. And the subtitle is Telling How to Live with Death in Mind. Mm. And, and there's a, a story about the Buddha, probably apocryphal, but I'll tell it anyway. Mm. Uh, a student of the Buddha asks him uh, about life and how to pursue it, and the Buddha says, how often do you think about death? Oh, I think about death a lot, probably probably 10 or 20 times a day. Mm. And the Buddha says, that's not enough. You must think about death with every breath. And the point is that the wolf is always at the door, the mm. proverbial war wolf. I, I guess that's giving a bad name to wolves. Mm. But we were never guaranteed another day. Yeah. We were never guaranteed another year. Let's take advantage of the fact that we get to be here, that we get to be here at all mm-hmm. against really stunning odds. The, the, the odds against DNA coming together in physical form, such as yours and mine, mm-hmm. the odds against that happening are truly cosmological. They, they exceed the odds against plucking a single atom from the entire universe at random. So it's pretty miraculous that we get to be here at all. Mm-hmm. And so let's actually appreciate that. So let's smell the proverbial flowers yes. and appreciate the fact that we get to be here at all. And then let's live. And and as we live, appreciative of that cosmological event that allows us to live, let us pursue excellence, whatever that means to us, and let's do what we love. Mm. Uh, I don't think that's really bad advice at the individual level. At the societal level, I think the people who are pulling the strings of empire, we'll say, um, are not interested in a situation that will facilitate extending the run of species if it costs them another buck. So, I, And I don't think we have that much influence over the way the world works at that macroeconomic level anyway. Yes. But I think all of that suggests that we have power, we have real power over our own actions, over our own responses, and also with respect to the relatively few people we spend minutes, hours, weeks with throughout our lives. So let's exercise that power in a positive manner. Let's uh, be compassionate with those people around us, the ones we actually spend our time with, our friends and our family and so on. Mm-hmm. And let's not become the sociopaths who have taken us to the brink. Exactly. You know, we, we have a few minutes left. And I want to stress that uh, uh, the reason I asked uh, Dr. Guy McPherson to be my guest today is that I discovered his website and videos of his and, and books listed and, and 
his bio, every, lots of information about him and, and the things we've been talking about today. And I'd like to spend some time now. I know you've mentioned a few titles of books and, and, and collaborators um, and videos, but let's reinforce that uh, with the time we have left. Your, your website, your blog, some books, videos that you would very much like us to visit that uh, now's the time. Uh, just feel free. It's your moment to advertise, and, and it's so worthy. Excellent. So, so my all of my recent work appears at GuyMcPherson.com, and even if you spell that incorrectly, it doesn't. It, the, the the internet engines will yes. uh, enable you. <laughs> you can't hide. You come up. <laughs> exactly. So GuyMcPherson.com. That's Nature Best Last, and it'll point you to my fourteen books. Yes. Uh, the the two latest of them are I already mentioned Extinction Dialogues: How to Live with Death in Mind co-authored by Carolyn Baker, and the other is actually a book for young adults, ages 11 and up, uh, co-authored by Pauline Schneider. It's called Ms. Ladybug and Mr. Honeybee, A Love Story at the End of Time. I love that one, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. And, and it really is the story of industrial civilization and the consequences of industrial civilization from the perspective of those little things, in mm. this case, a ladybug and a honeybee. Mm. And, and how they choose to act and what they promote in the end. Also with Pauline Schneider, I've developed a workshop that you can read about at onlyloveremains.org. And it's how, as individuals and communities, we respond to the most dire news most of us could ever imagine. That not only am I going to die, which is horrific enough for me to accept, mind you, mm. but... The other people in my life are going to die, too. It looks like our species itself will likely disappear early on, to quote Herodotus Amaya's from the paper in Science Advances, that, that everybody we know is going away as well. And it seems like we just showed up. Yes. The party started, and you're, you're telling me that it's time to turn out the lights? So how do, I, how do I deal with that? That's what that workshop is about. There's lots more at the website, and I have speaking tours coming up. Um in California and along the eastern seaboard um, later this year. And you can find all that information at catmcpherson.com as well. I hope you will be in touch with me, Dr. McPherson, and let us know when you are. I know it's on the website, but uh, uh, we want to do a real push for when you are coming to the East Coast. I would like very much to be a part of making certain as many people know about that as possible and attend. Um, any parting words for us? Because I think I think there is hope in what you say, because it does. It it's like dealing with my parents and Alzheimer's. People think, oh my God, how could you? But the thing was, I knew early enough that for all those t years I was in New York pursuing my career on television and not seeing them, I got to make up for that because I had years of time of being with them uh, and and uh, bringing them back occasionally and whatever and living that joy it was like wow it was like you 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 lost time here i'm going to give it back nature said that doesn't always happen but i think what you are telling us is whatever time there is left make it beautiful make it excellent share it lovingly you 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 take us out what are your thoughts right no that's absolutely right you know as i indicated at the top of the show here never guaranteed another day mm. we're never guaranteed another 10 years whatever 
So the tagline at Nature Path West is our days are numbered, passionately pursue a life of excellence. And that's true even if we live to be 100 years old. In fact, the world's oldest human lived to 117. She turned 117 last March, just over a year ago. And in response to a question, what do you think about the first 117 years of your life? She said, it seemed rather short. Mm. It's a moment. even if we live to be 100, it's going to seem rather short. So passionately pursue a life of excellence. Whatever excellence means to you, do what you love. Hang out with the people you love. Don't get caught on the hamster wheel, mm. which this culture screams at us to jump onto. You know, the faster you go on the hamster wheel, the less you're able to see the bars because mm. they turn into a blur. Yes. Slow down, you'll see the bars. Maybe you'll even step off. Well, Dr. Guy McPherson, this has been a wonderful show, and I greatly appreciate it and and will share it and send it off to you as well to share. Um, Live a life of excellence. That's what I'm going to take out of this and uh, face the truth and uh, live with it, but live with it in a half-full glass for whatever amount of time you have. Thank you so much, Dr. Guy McPherson, for being our guest today. We greatly appreciate it and wish you all the best. Keep those books coming and videos. And if there's ever anything I can do uh, to help in that particular area, uh, please let me know. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to chat today. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. All the best now. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Some subjects are uncomfortable to contemplate. This doesn't make them less fascinating, perhaps even a bit more so. XXY is the coming-of-age story of Alex, a 15-year-old intersex child. She was born with XXY syndrome, that is, she has the chromosomes and the physical characteristics of both sexes. Lest this sound like a morality tale, that is certainly not the case with this touching and challenging first film by Argentinian writer and director Lucia Puenzo. Alex's father thought of his child at birth as perfect. He did not want the condition addressed through surgery, which could lead to serious repercussions. Respecting her uniqueness, he moved the family to remote Uruguay so that Alex could grow up in a less threatening environment. Alex has stopped taking the hormones which had been guiding toward the feminine and is beginning to struggle with sexual identity. Her mother invites a surgeon and his family to visit to subtly explore the surgical options. The surgeon's son, also an adolescent, falls for Alex, who has feelings, confused feelings, for him as well. XXY has been greatly admired for its non-judgmental respect towards its subject. It's an honest exploration of the difficulty of difference. XXY. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. What American dreams may come the day after. Backyard gardens on rooftops and in window boxes. Death of a nation on a dying planet or requiem for elections of fear by dirty money for corporate rule. 
Even before humankind assumed dominance over the earth, there were reactions to every action, cause and effect, and death after life. But the race against time never won. Since Thursday, April 12, 1945, faux patriots, hypocritical zealots, and opportunistic corporate icons have sought to reverse the New Deal, returning to an age reminiscent of their robber baron predecessors, amassing huge fortunes through the blood, sweat, and tears of immigrant low-wage earners. What's next? Though with less media fanfare, natural resources decline, just as the too-big-to-jail disappeared $5 trillion in pension money, real estate value, 401k, savings, and bonds, 8 million American jobs, and ownership of 6 million homes melted away by the street's dragon breath, hedge funds. Yet, Wall Street bonuses? still free at large, cash flow. From 13 colonies, we evolved through the Hollywood Ten into device zombies welcoming wolf packs to blow down our house divided. Within Stalin's seeded smokescreen of Americans for Prosperity, we sailed blissfully down a polluted river of no return in our foggy bottom ship of state. Cloaked in secrecy, gilded beneficiaries manipulated Cold War to confuse our freedom with their skewed free market system, a Congress rented to delete itself by eliminating government regulations on corporatism hiding ill-gotten gain in Panama banks. What's next? Mass murder of a planet right-wing New World Order controlling how we vote and who's elected, death of a nation by strangulation of global resources. In poorest countries, many already dying from lack of food and water, or we shall overcome. What's next? Self-righteous demigod becomes president? Abandonment engulfs America, first in poorer states like Mississippi, Alabama, and North Carolina, or... We support Sanders and Warren POV by voting for Hillary. Yet, with 1963 Dallas solutions almost guaranteeing street violence, surpassing responses to police brutality and Trump incitement, Barack Obama twice elected panics plush supreme secret meeting places like Indian Wells, California. Terrified by a Main Street second coming of New Frontier New Deal combo, financial elites race to save returns on their congressional investments to transform middle class into middle ages serfs. Natural disaster creators of oil spills, gas leaks, coal ash, pharmaceutical greed, food deserts, and insurance, tobacco, and banking fraud huddle to term limit the aftermath of the black man from Hawaii. From John Foster and Alan Dulles to Panama Papers leaking American economic and gender disparity, climate injustice is as addicted to our demise as the super-rich right are to defunding the EPA, public education, and Mother Nature. When the age of fraud owns our water, restricts food supply, and fouls our air, is not the era of evil extinguishing Earth's natural pollinators, glaciers, mammals, and vertebrae, including us? What's next? Wall Street bankers are selling billions in bespoke tranche opportunity. 
continued top-down market manipulation, or we democratize Congress and their too-big-to-fail bankers with the Iceman Cometh. Root sources for the extinction of life on Earth are those investing millions in misleading labels, language, and media propaganda to blindside the myopic. Even if chasing windmills doesn't save corals, in whatever time is left, let's recapture United We Stand, if only to hedge our hereafter bets or beliefs, and be good Samaritans to earth and all life upon it. Doing unto all others as we pray will be done unto us, before, like the Reverend Elisheva Clegg, who, crossing the bar Wednesday, April 6, 2016, we depart in peace. There is never enough time to do or say all the things that we would wish. The thing is to try to do as much as you can in the time you have. For lacking respect for the death of any species by abrupt climate changes, we, like the day after, won't be there any more. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.